0: Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, I really didn't see it coming, and I'm really honored that you've given me the opportunity to stand behind this pulpit, not because it's yours, but because you have a responsibility for this body. And I know it uh, it takes a lot of faith in the Lord to... To let, you, to, to let you allow that to happen. Um, during the worship, this is not part of my message, but uh, it is now because there was, uh, during the worship I just felt impressed that there was somebody here that either you're really, really young or you've not been coming here for a long time but you find yourself in a place of like, this is all new. And it, when, when you got saved or when, when, when the Lord impressed upon you to make that life change, it was this great big experience. And as it's happened and the days that have gone by, you found yourself like getting a reality check of what your mind wants you to think it is and you sit back and you you listen to people in the church and you look at pictures like this, like, you know, the God of the universe that provided the asteroid shower that we were watching last night, makes the trees and the rivers and the rocks, gave the wisdom for the people that built this place, cared enough about you, To meet you where you were. And to meet us where we are today. And this is the scripture that I was impressed with that. It's when Jesus got arrested. Because that's my job for a living. In 1987, the Lord called me into law enforcement and that's my job. That's my my full-time job. That's his plan A that he gave me. And in John chapter 18, verse 4, it says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? And that was when the 600 or so men went to arrest Jesus. One Jesus, a 600-man SWAT team, went out for him. They replied, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. And they drew back and fell to the ground. The I am he recognizes maybe you don't have an education that would warrant you understanding all of this book. And you would think I'm too insignificant for the one that did all of this. But here's the reality of the situation. He cared enough for you. The I am he that all he wants is a place in your heart. And that's what he wants you to know this morning in the midst of. The perceived confusion, it's not confusing. He just wants that little place in your heart. And he's going to take everything else and make it fall into place. One day at a time. And that's it. It's that simple. That was just during the worship. That's just something that I, I, I felt like. Somebody was dealing with the, the question of who am I and focusing on your faults. And Jesus says, I am he. And I'm just going to focus on your heart. And that's it. That's all you have to do is let him come in. And he's going to do the rest. There was a Sunday morning and it was Memorial Day weekend And the pastor walks out into the foyer, and he sees this little boy standing there looking at a plaque up on the wall. And the plaque had a bunch of names on little plates. And the top of the plaque says, Gone but not forgotten. And the pastor walks up to the little boy. The little boy's name is Alex. And he says, What you looking at, Alex? And Alex says, What's that? And the pastor says, well, Alex, that's men and women that gave their, gave their lives in the service. And Alex stood there, and then all of a sudden, Alex gets nervous, and Alex starts to tremble a little bit. And Alex turns and looks up at the pastor and says, the 8 o'clock or the 10.30 service? And the pastor realized maybe we should have gone a different route because all Alex can think of is these people died in church in service so the pastor realized the children's pastor got some reconciliation to do when it's time for kids church and my message is about a pharaoh and a fisherman And the word that I want to focus on is the word reconciliation. Reconciliation is an action. It requires effort. The action of reconciling, the state of being reconciled. To reconcile is to restore to friendship or harmony to settle or resolve, to make consistent or congruous, to cause, to submit, to accept something unpleasant, to check against another for accuracy or to take an account for. If you own your business, you have to reconcile your books. We all have a bank account. We reconcile our bank account. In the above story about Alex, the pastor was faced with a particular task of helping Alex to understand what the sacrifice meant. And Alex had his own idea of what that sacrifice was. So he had to come to terms with Alex's mindset for him to have that understanding. Everybody sitting in this room is different ages. Everybody sitting in this room is different education levels. Everybody sitting in this room comes from a different place. But the Lord knows each and every single one of us and has the individual ability every second of the day to be able to reconcile himself with you in that relationship that he has waiting for you. In today's fractured climate, reconciliation is more important than ever. But at the same time, isn't it discouraged more than anything else? How often, who, how, how many times have you seen on the news? How many people do you know that say, you know what that person did to you? You need to not let it go. You need to never forget what that person did to you. How often have we heard that? throughout our lives and even still today the need for understanding forgiveness and healing between individuals between groups between nations has never ever been greater but how do we reconcile that biblical reconciliation is the process of two previously alienated parties coming to peace with one another (laughs) No longer counting our offenses against each other. Looking to the Bible can provide insight into how God reconciles diverse communities. And there are several Bible verses about reconciliation that can help us us explore why reconciliation is so important to our lives today, to our lives tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. The following phrase, I'll be repeating it a couple of times throughout the message because this is really the core yes, of what we are trying to do through Christ with brothers and sisters, those that are, are with us now and those that they don't know yet, but the Lord's going to touch them. Yes, and it's this statement. At its core, reconciliation means restoring broken relationships to a former state of harmony. It involves making amends with those who have been hurt or wronged in some way. It requires honest dialogue, forgiveness, and sometimes self-sacrifice from those involved in order to achieve peace and understanding. The Bible contains Several examples of people reconciling with one another after having experienced deep hurt, deep division due to sin, and sometimes just a simple misunderstanding. Today in a world where division is rampant, it is more important than ever that we practice true reconciliation rather than just tolerating one another, tolerating one another's differences. Without really trying to understand one another on a deeper level. Without this process taking place, no real unity can exist. Without letting the Lord come in, posture himself within your heart. To maintain that understanding, to strengthen that resolve. He didn't just come into your heart because he had nobody else to pick from. He came into your heart because he chose you. And he chose everything that's in there. To help you deal with it. And to help take it out. In Ephesians chapter 1 verses 7 through 10. God is reconciling all things through Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose. Which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things in earth. How many of you came from Catholicism and your your every thought about religion was just confusion? Because there's so many things that you had to do. And there was so many things that you had to remember. And you had this process that you had to memorize. And you had this process that you better not do it yet. You got to do it this way. And then you, you can't... I mean, I've actually seen a young man go up for communion. And the priest wouldn't give him communion until he did the whole thing he was supposed to do correctly. And it's like, he's standing there in front of everybody. And it's like, what am I doing wrong? I just... I just want to be a part, you know. But through salvation, Christ comes into your heart and he says, it's not about all that stuff. It's about you and me. It's just you and me. And that's his promise. That it's just you and him. And he's going to walk you through that daily life. Reconcile these things that brought you to conviction. For him to come into your heart. As Christians we're called upon by God to live at peace with one another. Which includes actively engaging in conversations that leads toward true restitution. Sometimes we got to talk about these things. And it's not about dredging up the past. Throughout Jesus' ministry through Samaria... He didn't do it from a church. He did it in the streets. He did it with people. He waited for the woman at the well at noon. So that when she came hidden. By the time of day. He was there. He was waiting for her. So that he could tell her. All of this water that's in here. I have the water. That will bring you the freedom. If you knew who you were talking to. You would know. The water I have, you will never be thirsty again. That's the thing Jesus did. Jesus went in the street and he talked to people. He met them where they were. And upon occasion, he said things they didn't like. But he always said it in love. Because he wanted to pierce that hardness in their heart. So that he could soften that thing. That had them where they were for that time. So he could make that change. Not a change for that day. But a change for the rest of their life. In Romans chapter 12 verses 14 through 20. Paul says bless are those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with others. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Verse 17 places a huge responsibility on us. That we don't have to provide the strength for. And it is the words, but give thought. It means being deliberate. Sometimes taking a step back, waiting a second, waiting a minute, waiting an hour, waiting a day, waiting a week, waiting until you hear from the Holy Spirit yes, about how He has planned. On wrapping this thing up. In my occupation. In my vocation. If you'd have known me 30 years ago. It was this thing of. There ain't no way you have the patience. To be able to deal with. Fill in the blank. Every day. 12 hours a day. And you'd have been right. You'd have been absolutely right. I actually found myself one day sitting at work, and I had a discussion with God. It was kind of a one-way discussion because I told him. Like, I had to remind him. In 1987, you called me to do this job. And if you don't give me the patience that I need to deal with your people, I can't be the light in their world that you need me to be. And I said, you need to change me. You need to fix me. And within just a couple of months, I was promoted to a supervisory position. And I was like, no, these are the people I have a problem with. You No, you missed the boat. This is not what I meant. And he said, but I answered your prayer. In order for these people to be productive, you're going to have to teach them. You're going to have to counsel them. You're going to have to guide them. You're going to have to work with them. Which means you have to lean on me to make it happen. And he did. He did. At the end of the day, my job is actually one of the easiest ones on the planet because I have three books I get to follow, and all of them are correct. There's the Code of Criminal Procedure, there's a Statute Book, and there's the Bible. The Bible is actually the one where these others came from. Yes, sir. Okay? So the third one actually is my first. And I learned several years ago when trying to help people with whatever their issue, their situation, their malfunction, their fill-in-the-blank, I learned the choices that everyone else chooses to make simply dictate the choices that these books say I'm forced to make. And I've looked at people and I've told them, please choose wisely how you make me wrap this thing up. When we deal with the Lord, when the Lord deals with us, Mm -hmm. it's about our choices. When conviction sets in, when we said something we shouldn't have, when somebody said something to us, we have a choice to make. Which will dictate how the Lord gets to wrap that situation up. Peter was a perfect example. Time and time again. How many times did Peter put his foot in his mouth? One occasion, Jesus called him Satan. Because he put his foot in his mouth up to his pocket. But Jesus was gracious. Jesus identified with Peter where that was coming from. He knew it wasn't from his heart. He knew it was coming from the devil. God uses the power of Christ's redemption to bring about reconciliation with the world. Reconciliation is essential for building strong relationships and uniting diverse communities. If we can't reconcile one to another as adults, we can't teach them how to reconcile With their friends. Whether we like it or not, we have a responsibility to pay attention to the words the Holy Spirit is urging us to use and not simply engaging in a personal preference or an emotional response. Through his death and resurrection Jesus provided a way for all of us to be reconciled with God and one another. His death and resurrection was the best example. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 17 through 20 is the ultimate reconciliation. Therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, all has become new. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, giving us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world, Us to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Not to be a member of a club, of a church, to prove ourselves to a denomination, Mm -hmm. but rather to be a new creation. At its core, reconciliation means restoring broken relationships to a former state of harmony. It often involves making amends to those who have been hurt or wronged in some way. It requires honest dialogue, forgiveness, and sometimes self-sacrifice from those involved in order to achieve peace and understanding. Daisha and I had been invited just a couple of months ago to a a, a friend's home for a, a big prayer meeting and they're engaged in the foster system and they have a lot of moving parts where they involve the courts and they involve counseling services and they encounter they, they involve the state <clears throat> and they had asked us to come and for me to pray for the judges and the lawyers and I had thought about that particular, that's where this message of reconciliation first started really sitting because I had recently had an incident at work with the prosecutor's office and it didn't go the way I had planned for it to go, like a total 180. And I had a a, a real toughness in my heart Toward this prosecutor because I knew this victim would never, ever receive the justice that was due to them. And I had been developing a hardness toward this person. And, and through the course of having to prepare for this meeting, the Lord had revealed to me that you have this same issue with this particular person And you need to deal with it so that you can be there for these people. Because I had to realize this was not going to be the last victim I was going to have to be there for. And it was definitely not the last time I would be dealing with this prosecutor. And my relationship with this individual could not be based on my perception of their failure. Because I had a responsibility At some point in time in the future to the next victim and then to the next victim and then to the next victim. And my meetings with this prosecutor couldn't be. Remember the last time you failed this person? Well, here's a chance for you to get it right. Because that wouldn't be productive. And I had to change my heart in the way my relationship was going to continue with this individual for the sake of others in the future. Romans chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. Paul says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, so much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. If we receive that gift from Christ, it's not ours to hold, it's ours to share. We can't be an example of what Christ did in us if we can't live in it with someone else. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 13 through 17 says, But now in Christ you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So those that we are in life with right now. Are those that we are near. And that peace that Christ puts in our heart. And places in our heart. And empowers us. To on some days. At best simply function. Are those things. That he wants to perfect in us. For in the future. It's this. Glorious but sometimes vicious cycle that we see it and we feel it and we're like, no, I don't want to do that today because I remember what that person did. I don't want to do it. And Christ said, but you don't have to do it because I already did it through the cross. You just have to submit to me so we can make it happen. How much reassurance is there that we practically don't have to lift a finger. We just simply have to take the one that we're using and sometimes put it away. Because sometimes it's simply that one finger that's blocking Christ and and holding the Holy Spirit at bay. Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 through 23 says, For in him all the fullness of God was placed to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind. Doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, you, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope. Of the gospel that you have heard. Which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And of which Paul says. I am a minister. It's not about continuing in works. It's not about continuing having to put out the effort. And put out the effort. And having to kick and push and shove. It's simply about continuing. In the faith, the same faith that one day you looked at Christ and said, I'm going to take you at your word, come into my heart and save me, is the very same faith is all that's required for him to do that work in you, to do it through you. That's got to be like really refreshing to know I don't have to do nothing else. I simply have to take him at his word. Just take him at his word. If he did it for you and he already did it in you, you didn't get it from Walmart, there's not a receipt. That somebody can steal it from you and take it and return it and get a refund and the value that comes from it and you lose that value. There's no receipt. He paid for it with his blood. He purchased it on the cross and it came without a receipt because we didn't have to buy it. It's a free gift. It's the free gift. That comes from the true free gift of salvation. Everything else flows from that. Everything else. In Matthew chapter 5 verses 22 to 24. Matthew remembers Jesus saying. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother. Will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there at the altar and go. Go. And first be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Notice he didn't say when you get up to the altar or you bring your gift and you remember you're mad at somebody. That's not what he said. He said when you recall somebody's mad at you. To go and reconcile it. That's the really hard part as a person, as a human being. Because whether you did it or not, Jesus said, go to the one that you know is mad at you. That's the hard part. But he's also saying... I pricked your heart for a reason because I can heal that heart. Mm-hmm. He's not going to bring a form of conviction when he doesn't already possess the solution. Yes sir, he knows what he's going to do. He knows exactly what he's going to do. In light of that, I want to touch on a really, really, really touchy topic that is within the church that kind of leads up to this. For some people, it's real popular. They like to use it real often. You can't judge me. You're not Jesus. You can't tell me what to do. You're not the Holy Spirit. Judge not lest you be judged. That's what the Bible says. If you haven't read a couple of scriptures before that. It is what the Bible says. But in Matthew chapter 7 verses 3 through 5. Jesus says. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? Do you not notice. Luke remembers Jesus saying, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself don't see the log that is in your own eye? First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. And Mark, in the same contextual relationship, when you look at the Gospels, at the same time that, that Matthew and Luke are talking about this, Mark says, recalls Jesus saying, If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself that house will not be able to stand this is specifically relevant in the context of the gospels because when 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 jesus is talking about the specks and the logs mark remembered the division and what we miss far too often Is that the speck and the log and the instruction that Jesus gave us. It wasn't an option. It's a command. We are supposed to be there for one another. Counsel with one another. Bring these things out with one another. After we have done our part, Lord, clear my heart and clean my spiritual eyes that I can be there for him, that I can be there for her. Because if I can't do it your way, then we wind up with divided houses. It's not a play on words. It's not a bean under the cup. There's no bean. All three cups, they're all the same. They're all specifically relevant. A house that stands or survives can only do so if it is properly maintained. Jesus didn't declare to the multitudes... You people better stay in your individual lanes. Just the opposite. He issued a mandate of responsibility to one another. He never said don't do it. On the contrary, he specifically instructed, after you have prepared yourself properly, go help him or go help her in the same manner. At its core, reconciliation means restoring broken relationships to a former state of harmony. It often requires making amends with those who have been hurt or wronged you in some way. It requires honest dialogue, forgiveness, and sometimes self-sacrifice from those involved. In order to achieve peace and understanding. In Second Timothy chapter three, verses one through five, it says, "But realize this that in the last days, How many people know it there is a whole lot of preaching shows now about the last days. Because we're there. Yeah. Not because there's nothing else to preach on and everything else has already been willowed away. It's because we're there. In the last days, difficult times will come. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanderers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving irreconcilable malicious gossips without self-control brutal haters of God treacherous reckless conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power avoid such people as these the ultimate goal of reconciliation should never be to get your way or to be able to say, I got the last word. The ultimate goal of reconciliation is deliverance. Yes, sir. Deliverance. If we can't reconcile our past, how much are we held bondage, in bondage, by that thing that we just want to hold on to, that we want to claim as ours, that we hold as a trophy, replacing a crown. Because you will have a crown to present to Jesus on that day for your salvation. But how many more crowns will you have to lay at Jesus' feet that you're replacing with my trophy of what that person did to me? Come on. Come on, James. Revelation says we're not going to bring our trophies to Jesus. It says we're going to lay these crowns at Jesus' feet. Amen. Yes, sir. I don't want a trophy. I don't want a James Thibodeau trophy. I want a crown. I want a crown of Jason. I want a crown of Jude. I want a crown of whoever else that the Lord brings me to their situation even though I don't want to be there. And that has happened. I have found myself in situations and places I didn't want to be there on that day. I didn't want to be dealing with these people. I didn't want to be dealing with their problem. And God had to remind me, but I'll put you there. Because I need you to bring light to their darkness. I need you to show them where they can get the water because they're parched and they're thirsty. I need you to show them where the bread of life is. Because they're starving and they're dying and they're shriveling up. And I can't be a testimony to someone where it's convenient. But then tell God, I'm not going where it's yucky or it's ugly or it's violent. Deliverance is the action of being rescued. Rescue is to save someone from a dangerous or distressing situation to set free from confinement, danger, or evil. We can't come in here twice a week. And thank God for the deliverance that he gave us. And then take it and close it up. And look at the cover and say, Yep, James W. Thibodeau, that's mine. We'll snap it closed, and it's mine. It's mine. It is not ours for us. It is ours for them. Somebody one day came to you and said, this is not for me. It is for me to present to you. And until we recognize that's where the power lies in the gospel, there can be no deliverance for those who were bound. There's two specific examples that really hit home for me as one in the Old Testament and there's one in the New Testament. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible is the first example of reconciliation. Genesis chapter 45, verses 2 through 5, and then verses 15 through 20. Verses 2 through 5 says, And he, Joseph, wept out loud so that the Egyptians heard it. So if you're not familiar with Joseph, in, in, in kids' church, there's the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors. Okay, and Joseph was given visions and he was he was given sightings by the Lord. And he was so excited that the Lord was was trusting him with these things that he would go to his brothers and brag on the Lord to his brothers. But his brothers saw him bragging that, well, I'm more special than y'all because the Lord told me this and I'm more special than y'all because the Lord showed me that. And that's the way his brothers interpreted what he was bringing to them to share with them what the Lord was showing him. And the brothers downright hated him. They let evil take over in their heart. And as a result, Joseph went through this whole path of rejection and degradation and incarceration and accusation. And it was one thing after another until he was finally set free as a governor in the house of Pharaoh. And at the point where Joseph is in place as a governor, his brothers come to him because there's a famine across the land. And everybody's starving and everybody's dying and everybody's hungry and there's no food. Except there. So everybody had to come to where there was food. And he, Joseph, wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. That was reconciliation. Verse 15. And Joseph. Get these guys. And Joseph kissed all his brothers. And wept with them. After this his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house. Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your beast and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Deliverance. Pharaoh didn't just tell him, go back and get your family. Pharaoh said, take my wagons. And load up all your stuff and be delivered here in the land of Egypt. The basis of the deliverance was food, Egypt was starving. Joseph had been totally rejected by his family and his obedience to the Lord through reconciliation moved the heart of Pharaoh to move his entire family to be delivered, not just Joseph. And not just give them enough to take home, move their home from there to here so that they can have everything Entitled to you as a governor. Food was the target. Food was what the Lord used. In the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son came to his senses when he was feeding the pigs. He was so hungry, he was so starving for family. That even the slop of the pigs couldn't satisfy not just the hunger in his gut, but the void in his heart. In Mark chapter 16 verse 7, there's a very profound statement made by the angel sitting on top of the tomb. And since 1987, I never caught this until like last week. Like literally last week. I added this last week. And it was the church divide at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. Does anybody know that there was a church divide? at Jesus's crucifixion. Mark chapter 16 verse 7, the angel on top of the tomb says, "But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee." There you will see him just as he told you. The angel sitting on top of the tomb recognize Peter's no longer a disciple. Now whether it's because he was no longer welcome or he decided because he failed and denied Christ. Maybe he decided he was no longer welcome. But the angel said something very profound when he said, go tell his disciples and Peter. Since 1987, I have never realized that at this point in time, Peter was not considered a disciple. In John chapter 21, verse 4, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in. Because of the quantity of fish. These disciples had left. The ministry. And Jesus walked up on the shore. And reconciled with them. Six feet away. Move your nets from this side. And put them on this side. And by doing so. He showed them, I am reconciling with you, when they didn't even recognize him yet. Sometimes we don't have a clue where that little voice is coming from. And that's usually when we hear that little voice and we say, But I don't want to. Because you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they did it to me, not once, not twice, but three times. When Jesus, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, in between verse six and verse 15, Simon recognizes Jesus on the bank and it says he jumped out the boat and swam to shore to go meet him, leaving all the others behind to pull up the nets that were now full of food. Jesus says to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It doesn't say so, but I think he's pointing at the boat and those that are still in the boat. Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter didn't say more than these. Peter just said, you know, I love you, Lord. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And in his heart, Peter was grieved because he's got to tell Jesus again. You know I love you. Jesus said to him. Feed my sheep. The angel made it abundantly clear. Peter is no longer a disciple. By somebody's standard. Jesus made it abundantly clear. Sitting on the shore. Feed my sheep. Jesus wasn't giving Peter a command. Peter was declaring to everyone else, hey, guys, Peter's back because I said so. And used food, the fish that he provided to them in the water to feed his sheep. That was the deliverance for Peter. Jesus personally delivered him a second time. He delivered him the first time from Simon to Peter with salvation. The angel says, I already know he's no longer a disciple. And Jesus did with Peter what he does with us so many times, like I've seen this so many times where we do something like just really dumb or just really stupid. Or we just don't pay attention to what we're doing and we're not deliberate in our actions. And it's like the angels are in heaven and they're watching and they're standing with Jesus and they're like, that's one of yours. And Jesus says the same thing in return every time. Yep. That's one of mine. Because one day he settled in your heart by his Holy Spirit to be saved. So every single solitary time he can say the same thing regardless of the circumstance. That's one of mine. With Peter, he went full force back into his own life of fishing and isolation. And Jesus welcomed him back, not only into fellowship with him, but into ministry. While feeding them breakfast with the words, feed my sheep. With Joseph, we would be inclined to say, His brothers are the ones that should have made it right. But because of Joseph's reconciliation, the heart of Pharaoh was moved so greatly to not just deliverance, but generosity for Joseph's entire family. Both of these stories demonstrate the power of love and forgiveness over resentment and revenge based upon one simple concept, reaction. Many trials that we face are in fact, they got nothing to do with the trial, but they have everything to do with how we choose To react to being in that trial. In a world where division is so rampant, it is more important than ever that we practice true reconciliation rather than just tolerating one another's differences without really trying to understand one another on a deeper level. Without this process taking place, no real unity can exist. Our reactions to each other and to our trials will bring one of two end results. Separation and bondage or reconciliation and deliverance. The choices are simple. We just have to choose wisely how God gets to wrap it up. Because his position's never going to change. He is always going to say, Yes, that's one of mine. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord God, this day that you've taken this, this flawed vessel. And despite every imperfection that I choose to hold on to. That you can still take your word. Yes, that you can pierce the heart of man. Thank you, Father God, for years ago, the, the gift of patience. The completion of the fruit of the Spirit. That you bestowed upon my heart. That I can be obedient at the right place at the right time. For what you wish to accomplish in whoever is there. Father God, I just, I don't know who, who you have in this room that has been saved for decades or saved for just a couple of weeks. But give them the faith. Give them the recognition of realizing the faith that it took to accept you into their heart. Is the same degree of faith. Is all they need. To bring them past whatever this is that's held them. For so long. Father, help them to recognize in their heart that the relationship with you is not a 360. That it's not about accepting you into their life and then adding you to what they have. But give them the conviction that the acceptance of salvation is a 180. That it's a turnaround. And you coming into their heart to replace the things that are not of you. Give them the courage, Lord God, to turn to you each and every day. So that each and every day you can keep your promise with them. Making them a new creation. Give them the realization every day, Lord, that life with you is a process that you graciously guarantee to us to walk with us and to make us new each and every day, the day that we are in at that time. Let the fruit of the Spirit be what rules in their heart. And give them the assurance, those that have accepted you as their Lord and Savior, that every single solitary day when they wake up and they open their eyes, your statement to them is still the same. That you're one of mine. And don't let that be simply what holds their heart, but let that be what consumes their heart. That softens that hard place that they said, I'm never going to let anybody in again. That replaces what was stolen from them, that you would reoccupy within them what the enemy has stolen. Father, we thank you, Lord God. We praise you, Lord God. We are eternally grateful for the the crown that we're going to be able to put at your feet from our salvation. And I ask, Lord, that our focus every day would be the crowns that we can lay at your feet that day, not just our own. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. (music) you. <music>